My mom grew up in a holiness tradition. I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with what a holiness tradition is, but one of the things about the holiness tradition, folks, is the ladies were not aware, allowed to wear makeup or jewelry. Um, I can never remember a day that I saw my grandmother with her hair down. She always had it in a bun. Um, I went to a Christian college in Kentucky. Many of y'all I've shared that with. And this Christian college was in that holiness tradition. And so they observed certain rules in this, at our college that were connected to the holiness tradition of the past. And they would uh, some of the things that we were not allowed to do, uh, well, guys had to wear shirts with a collar on them, for example. Uh, girls had to wear a skirt or a dress if they were going to go to uh, class. Um, we were not allowed to dance. Uh, there was no smoking, no alcohol, no tobacco of any sorts, and all the professors on campus also had to sign a covenant that they would not do any of those sorts of things. Girls were not allowed to go into guys' dormitories, which I didn't think was such a bad idea now as a dad. And guys were not allowed to go into girls' dormitories, except on Sundays from 2 to 4 p.m., and if you did have somebody of the opposite sex, your door had to be open to your, um, to your room. Um, I had one of my friends when I was in college. Uh, he went line dancing one evening with some of his buddies um, from, that he had grown up with around the area. And uh, when he got back to the dorm, the administration had found out about it, and he was expelled for going line dancing because dancing was not allowed uh, at our school. Um, now, some of those uh, rules have relaxed over the years, and some of those have changed a little bit, but that's kind of the way it was back when I was going to school so many years ago. Um, all of this speaks of what Paul is talking about today, uh, the gray areas of Scripture, Areas where the Bible doesn't explicitly say, thou shalt or thou shalt not. Um, and so that's what we want to dive into today, these specific areas of Scripture where the Bible does not say what is morally right or morally wrong, and it leaves it up to us as a matter of conscience. So know what we're talking about here today. We're not talking about all things, all behaviors, all morality. Rather, we're talking about things today that the Bible does not explicitly give uh, direction to with regard to moral, moral matters. So um, that's our topic, and Paul's going to uh, we'll come to Romans chapter 14. We're in a, in a series working through the book of Romans, and we come to Romans chapter 14 today. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 1 and 2, and then the last, chap, last verse of that chapter, verse 23. So I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. Again, Romans chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 23. Here we go. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Verse 23. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Um, so uh, let's kind of dive in and walk through these verses together. Paul begins, he says, verse 1, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. In some other translations, it'll use the phrase disputable matters. Again, these are the gray areas of Scripture where there's not an explicit thou shalt or thou shalt not in relation to a particular issue. So let me give you a couple of examples from the 21st century beyond those that I've shared already. Some gray areas of whether or some people believe that Christians should not play cards. They look at the fact that cards are used in Las Vegas and they're used in Atlantic City to bankrupt people, to injure people. Um, and so because of that, somebody doesn't want to play cards. They don't want to be part of that industry. 
uh, things like going to the movies. Some Christians say that if you go to the movies that you're supporting the things that the Hollywood is putting, putting out, and so we don't want to support that in any way, and so they feel a real pain of conscience in going to the movies. Some Christians would say that you shouldn't go trick-or-treating or you shouldn't read books like Harry Potter because it feels so much like the occult and it feels like you're inviting in evil and it feels like you're inviting in darkness. Some Christians are against having a nose ring or purple hair or going to the mall on Sunday. Some Christians are against two-piece bathing suits and I would like to tell you that I feel very strongly about that and that's why you will never catch me in a two-piece bathing suit. Okay? <laughs> These are the kinds of things that Paul has in mind when he says opinions. Right? These are not explicit things in Scripture, behaviors in Scripture that the Bible says, thou shalt or thou shalt not. And so it becomes a matter of opinion or a matter of conscience. Now, it's helpful to categorize the people on either side of this issue that we're talking about. And Paul uses the phrases weak brother, and then I'm going to use the phrase strong brother to give us a little differentiation between the two. Look at verse 1. He calls the administration at the college that I attended that was, not, was sure that Christians shouldn't dance, even though David danced before God, who felt that it was wrong to go and do that. He calls them weak brothers. He says, verse 1, as for the one who is weak, in faith. And then if you skip forward to verse 2, he says, the weak person eats only vegetables. You say, well, that's great. I mean, the Bible's going to talk about whether or not vegetarianism is okay. That is not what's in view here. Um, in fact, what Paul, the issue that has got Paul talking about this matter of conscience is whether or not someone should eat meat that has been sacrificed at the pagan temples. Um, the Jewish the Christians, whom, the Jewish Christians to whom Paul is writing especially felt pain about this. Um, the meat some of the animals were taken to the pagan temple that day. Those animals were sacrificed, and then that meat would be butchered off or butchered up, and it would be sent off to the local meat market. Well, in addition to that, the food that was coming off the local farms would go to that same meat market, and the Christian couldn't tell whether or not the ribeye steak that they were purchasing that day had come from a pagan sacrifice or it had come from the local farm. And so they were only eating vegetables because of this. They, just want, they wanted to make sure that they weren't getting that ribeye steak that had come from the pagan um, temple. Um, and so some of the Christians were struggling with this. Uh, it was a matter of conscience for them. And so uh, they just didn't feel a release to eat meat that had potentially been sacrificed to idols. Now compare that with the second character in this story. So we've got the weak brother on the one hand. And the second character in this story, um, or category of Christian, look at verse 2. Paul writes, one person believes he may eat anything. So this is the other person that Paul's referring to, while the weak person eats only vegetables. So Paul contrasts the weak brother in Christ, who, does, who wants to abstain from eating that meat that has been potentially sacrificed to idols, with uh, the strong brother. And again, I'm just using the word strong. Paul doesn't use that word just to help us differentiate between these two categories that Paul's describing. And so we have the weak brother on the one hand, who does not feel like he can eat the meat that's been sold at the market, who eats instead only vegetables, and then contrast that with the strong brother who says, I don't have any problem at all. I mean, bring the ribeye steak on. I'm more than happy to eat it. And so the strong brother agrees with Paul who says in verse 14 of chapter 14, he says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself. And so this is the way the strong brother sees this, that I, I don't see anything wrong with the meat that's, being coming, that's coming to me from the pagan temple. Paul addresses the same issue over in 1 Corinthians. He says to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 25, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Paul's instructing them, saying there's nothing wrong 
with that ribeye steak that's coming from the meat market, even if it has been sacrificed at the pagan temple, he says, verse 26, quoting here from Psalm 24, here's his reason for why he says that, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The strong brother is not bothered if he happens to get some meat that was used at the temple because he says, hey, look, I understand that everything in the universe belongs to God. Even if it's been used in an inappropriate way, even if it's been used in a sinful way, he says, look, I can still invite that ribeye steak and enjoy it on my plate. I don't have a problem with that. Furthermore, the strong brother would go on to say that my spirituality is not based on what I eat anyway. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 8, Paul says, food will not commend us, that is, make us closer to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat meat and no better off if we do. So this is the strong brother. He knows that as long as he gives thanks to God, as long as he does not misuse anything in God's creation, that he is free to use anything in God's creation without a sense of guilt in his conscience. And so let's bring this up to the 21st century. What would a strong brother look like today? Well, a strong brother would sit down and play cards because he knows that even though those cards are used in Las Vegas and used in Atlantic City and other places around the world to bankrupt people and to ruin their lives, his attitude is, hey, look, this is, there is nothing inherently evil about this little piece of coated plastic paper that's got marks on it as long as I don't use it in a way that would potentially bankrupt me or somebody else or injure somebody else's life, and so it's okay for me on those grounds. A strong brother can subscribe to things like Netflix and Disney+, Plus, knowing that some of the material that is on those platforms is stuff that he should not be watching, and he says, look, I don't. And because I don't, I don't have any problem enjoying movies that are uh, presented to me off of those platforms. Um, a strong brother would dance with his wife or with his girlfriend, a strong sister with her husband or her boyfriend, and not feel a bit guilty about it. He can listen to classic rock or country music as well as Christian music because he does not find himself influenced by the words and all the stuff that's in those secular songs. He just likes the tunes. A strong sister could go and shop on Sunday because she knows that every day belongs to the Lord. Uh, I mean, what's the difference between her shopping on Monday or Tuesday or Sunday? Again, every day is the Lord's day. And so this is the strong brother or the strong sister. They understand the liberty that they have on the, on the non-thou shalt and thou shalt not issues. And the Holy Spirit is giving them the freedom to exercise the li liberty in this area or that area or the other. Now, what about the weak brother? So that's the strong brother, feels this liberty in these areas where, again, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt or thou shalt not. But what about the weak brother? What does the Bible have to say about him or about her? Well, let me say that in calling this person weak, the Bible is not saying that this person is weak in their faith, that they have a lesser than Christian walk with the Lord. That is not what the Bible is referring to here. Um, as a matter of fact, some of these brothers and sisters in Christ that the Bible would describe as weak brothers or weak sisters are actually uh, some of the most committed Christian men and women that you will ever meet. Um, and so the weakness surfaces, though, in regards to their freedom of conscience uh, when they, on some of these gray areas. Um, again, let me repeat that. They are weak in regards to the freedom of conscience that they feel on one or more of these gray areas. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says, 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 7, However, not all possess this knowledge, that is the perspective that the strong brother shares, but some, the weak, and, weak brothers and sisters, through former association with idols, eat food that is really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. 
So the weak brother says, hey, look, that meat that is coming to my plate potentially has been sacrificed at the pagan temple. And because of that, they say, you know what, I used to worship there. I, I, used, to, I used to be involved in all of that, and so it reconnects me in a way that I don't feel good about and maybe is drawing me back into that stuff in a way that I don't want to see myself drawn back into again. And because of that, I just can't put that on my plate again. And so, or perhaps they would say that by purchasing that meat, I'm supporting and endorsing the practice of idolatry. So again, I just don't feel right about it. That's the weak brother or the weak sister. And you know what, friends? The Bible says that when your conscience puts up a roadblock to you like that on a particular issue that the Bible does not explicitly speak to, that when you push through and you engage in that behavior anyway, that that is sin to you. Paul writes for Romans chapter 14 and verse 14. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Eat whatever meat you want to eat, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. And then he goes on to say again in verse 23, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So you see what's going on here. You have this weak brother or weak sister in Christ who does not want to eat that meat that's been sacrificed at the pagan temple. It's an offense to their conscience, even though the Bible gives them freedom to do it. You look at Acts chapter 12, you see the picnic blanket that comes down and the Lord says to Peter, hey Peter, eat all the food that's on this stuff and it's stuff that the Jewish people were not supposed to eat. And Peter says, I can't eat that. We're not supposed to eat any of that. It's not kosher. And God says, hey, look, what I have declared holy, you, you're welcome to, to enjoy. You're welcome to, to participate in. And so, again, even though the Bible gives somebody freedom and liberty to enjoy this stuff, uh, if the conscience is there and the conscience is saying it's wrong to do it, the Bible says for you to push through your conscience on that situation, uh, it would be sin to you. In other words, whatever you and I do as followers of Christ, uh, of Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, in other words, whatever you and I as followers of Jesus Christ can't do and feel completely good about and feel completely right about and feel completely pure about, if we can't have that, the faith that is completely fine before God to do something, then we shouldn't do it. Here's the critical point, okay? You and another follower of Christ can go and do the very same thing. If, it's a thou, if, it, if there's no thou shalt or thou shalt not about it, but you, you and a follower of Christ could do the very same thing, and that other follower of Christ could go home, they could get sleep, they could feel completely fine about what it was that they did, but you, on the other hand, if it was something that was a matter of conscience for you, uh, you would feel totally rotten about it, and your sleep would be disturbed. And so the point is, this is no indication that you are any less close to God than that other person that you are any less committed to God than that strong brother or strong sister. Rather, it means that sometimes in some areas, God gives us the conscience to be a strong brother, and sometimes he doesn't. And we have no business doing those things if we do not have a clear conscience going into it. Again, verse 23, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let me say one more thing, that nobody in here, no Christian ever in the history of the world, is 100% strong brother or weak brother. We've all got areas where we're strong. We've all got areas where we're weak, stuff that we should not participate in because for whatever reason, we'll get into this just a little bit, 
The Holy Spirit will not allow us to go there. We should not go there. There may be five things on this side that we can do and five things on this side that we can't do. There might be five things on this side that we can do that our brother in Christ is completely the opposite of us on. Um, and so nobody's 100%. And so we, we all need, there's, there's gray areas in all of our lives, uh, and, and we're strong and weak in some of those for all of us. This is not a spiritual issue. It doesn't mean that somebody is a better Christian than you or more mature than you. It just means that you are weak or strong in a particular area. And so what does the weak brother sound like in the world today? Well, if you're a weak brother on the issue of going to the movies, again, you would feel bad about spending even $1 contributing to that industry. You were, if you were a weak brother and somebody was to drag you to the movies and you were to sit there in the movies and, and, and you were a strong brother on that issue, uh, you would sit and enjoy the movie. I mean, even if it was Olaf and uh, Frozen, right, or something like that, you would have no problem with it at all, but then your weak brother would just sit there and have the worst time in the world uh, feeling like they're contributing to something that's evil. Some people can't go dancing. They can't dance with their wife or their husband, with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. Some people are weak when it comes to listening to secular music. They only listen to Christian music. Their conscience just won't allow them, for whatever reason, we'll get into that in just a little bit, to listen to anything other than Christian music. This is the weak brother. He is just as precious. He is just as important to the body of Christ. He is just as faithful in his pursuit of a relationship with Jesus Christ as a strong brother. But, he neither, but either he doesn't understand the liberty that God has given him, or if he understands it in his head, the Spirit of God does not give him the freedom to live that out through his conscience. And so you say, well, Gordon, I got a couple of questions. Okay, let's hear them. Here's number one. Say question number one. Let's say if I'm a weak brother in some area of my life, because we all are somewhere, we've all got some area where we're weak, um, so question number one, one is, what made me this way? How did I become weak in this particular area of my life? And so to answer that question, I want to point out three forces uh, that are at work in all of our lives, in our past, all the way up to the present, that, are help, that help shape us, that help shape how we view things, why we are weak, perhaps, in some areas and strong in others. Force number one is our upbringing. By upbringing, I mean how our parents raised us, our home life, um, the kind of values that were there, our church exposure, even the location that we were raised. I mean, if you were raised going to church every Sunday where the pastor just thumped on the Bible and he preached on these gray areas of Scripture and talked about how these gray areas of Scripture were wrong, it was sin, friends, that was just born into your heart, it was born into your spirit, and part of that is why your conscience still today on that gray area bothers you. If you grew up going to a church where no one were, uh, would do any of those sorts of things, if that's how you grew up, then you will produce, it'll produce a lot more weak areas in your life than if you were raised by non-Christian parents in Southern California and you were saved your senior year of going to Berkeley. Okay? You with me? Okay. Uh, that's part of it. It's our upbringing. That's part of the contributing factors to why we are weak in some areas how we were raised. Now, force number two is our early Christian training, meaning when we first came to Christ, there were people who mentored us. There were people who, uh, who we wanted to mirror our Christian lives after, and they perhaps had certain uh, predispositions on some of these gray areas, and we adopted them as our own. And so these Christians have tremendous influence on how we end up approaching these gray areas. 
because we're at a stage at that point in our Christian life where our outlook is being formed, and so it's being formed through the influence, through the, a filter of what those mentors to us uh, believed. Now, force number three, it is very possible that we are shaped in our thinking not just by how we are raised, not just by the people who trained us up and discipled us, but also by our backgrounds before our life in Christ. That is before we became Christians. These are areas of our life where we had ungodly, sinful behavior, like that person who says, I just can't eat the meat that was sacrificed at the pagan temple because I used to participate in that stuff. I was totally wrapped up in it. It contained my identity. And when I came to Christ, I left all of that behind. And for me, just to sit down and have a hamburger that I knew came from that place, it just wants to draw me back into it. And so because of that, because of our backgrounds, before we came to Christ, that's another one of those influencers, another one of those forces that shapes why we may be weak in some of these gray areas. If you had a huge gambling problem before you came to Christ, more than likely it would be very difficult for you to sit down with a group of friends and play cards. If you had, a huge, um, if you had an alcohol problem before you came to Christ, I guarantee that you are going to feel uncomfortable about going out with some coworkers after work and enjoying a drink. Uh, because God is trying to protect you from something that could ruin your life. If you are promiscuous as a young adult, you will likely have a real problem seeing girls dressed immodestly. Friends, this is a blessing from God. God is trying to protect you from getting drawn back into that stuff that formerly identified that was destroying your life. And if you're a weak brother in Christ on some issue, again, we all are somewhere on something then that bubbles up from one of these three forces or a combination of these, either your upbringing, how you were raised, your early Christian exposure, your early Christian formation, or your life before you came to faith in Christ. I say, Gordon, I hear what you're saying, but I got another question. All right. Can a weak brother ever change into a strong brother? Like, can there be an issue in my life that has bothered me for years, but... You know, I'm sensing over the decades, over the years, that I just don't feel myself like it's a matter of conscience for me anymore. Things have kind of changed for me on this particular behavior. Is, it, is that possible? Uh, can that happen? And so, you know, am I backsliding? <laughs> am, am, I, am I becoming a libertine? Uh, no, you're not backsliding, and no, you're not becoming a libertine. This happens. This is very natural. It happens throughout people's lives. Rather, this is actually a very common phenomenon, and there are two reasons why this happens. First of all, sometimes it's because we experience a broader scope of what God is doing in the world. We get exposure to other things, to other perspectives of the things that bothered us before, and we start attending a different church, or we start appreciating that there are some things in the Bible that we never knew about, and we start hanging out with a different group of people who are committed Christians who feel more liberty in those areas where we were weak. Or perhaps we marry somebody who was strong in a particular area where we were weak. They don't have the same hangups that we have, and they kind of push us and they shove us into some more liberty. Um, and that happens all the time. We begin to phase out of our weaknesses because we become more aware of other perspectives and of what God is doing in the world, and that is perfectly okay. So yeah, there can be changes. Second reason why there might be changes is because sometimes those things that used to be a serious threat to us, uh, we just felt like if we had that hamburger that came from the pagan temple, that if I eat that thing, that boy, it's just going to take me right back there. But maybe it's been 40 years 
since I had left that way of life, and I just don't feel any pull. I don't feel any compulsion back to that anymore. And so for me today to be able to sit down and have that hamburger that came from the meat market, that might have been potentially something that was sacrificed, it's just not an issue for me anymore. And so you begin to exercise liberty. Well, let's summarize. What have we learned today? We've learned that a strong brother is someone who understands their liberty in these gray areas and who the Spirit of God gives them freedom in their conscience to exercise it. A weak brother is someone who does not get that they have freedom in these gray areas or for whom the Spirit of God has prohibited them from engaging in that behavior or that activity because of their conscience I won't allow them. You say, Gordon, I hear what you're saying. But all this sounds like a lot of theory. <laughs> sounds like, I mean, as I was writing this and reading through all this stuff and studying it, it almost sounded like I was sitting in a psychology class and somebody was trying to pick my brain apart. You say, uh, you know, can you, can you make this a little bit more practical for us? What difference does all this make to my life? Very quickly, if we meet somebody who is weak in some area that we are not, we have got to be very careful that we do not brand them as backslidden or liberal or uncommitted or a compromiser instead it may be that they are a strong brother or a strong sister where we are weak and we need to talk next week about how we should relate to each other Uh, we'll tackle that question next week Uh, number one how should strong and weak brothers relate to each other when they are passionately in disagreements because Friends, a lot of denominations exist today, again, not because they were arguing over doctrinal issues, but because they were arguing over gray area issues. And so we've got to figure out, well, how then do we, how does the weak and the strong brother, how do they relate to one another in a way that brings unity to the body of Christ rather than drives people apart? Um, number two is, is there ever a time when a strong brother should limit his liberty Because some of us are going to walk out of here today and say, I am so thrilled to know that I'm a strong brother. I'm going to start exercising all of my liberty. And is that the right approach? Is that what the Bible would instruct us to do? And so we'll get into some of that next week. Because all we read of chapter 14 was three verses. There's 23 verses in chapter 14. So there's a lot there speaking specifically to the strong brother, to those that feel liberty in these gray areas of life. And so if you're a strong brother, I invite you to come back next week. We've got some good information for you. The Bible is going to speak specifically to you. I want to close by reminding us that biblical, because this issue, things begin to get a little dicey as I've talked down this road of it's a matter of conscience. I just want to be very clear about one thing, that biblical morality is inflexible and unchanging. Biblical morality is inflexible and unchanging. Friends friends and neighbors may have changed their views on some things, but where the Bible speaks clearly, we stick with the Bible. Amen? Today's lesson, Romans chapter 14, has in view those gray areas of life to which the Bible does not speak with a thou shalt or thou shalt not, And it's on those issues that the Bible says, let your conscience be your guide and only on those issues. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you so much for speaking to us today. You know us so well. And Lord, it is your desire that we live a life that is honorable and pleasing to you. 
And Lord, when we look across uh, the aisle, when we look across uh, at the, the restaurant, Lord, when we look across at people that we know who love you and who are, are pursuing you in a relationship, God, um, and we see them, Lord, doing things that, oh, Lord, I, I don't see how they can do that. Lord God, you want for us to be able to relate to one another in a way that is healthy, that doesn't tear down, but that builds up. And so, Lord, whether we come at this issue as a weak brother or a strong brother, whatever the particular circumstance may be, may we hear from your word how we should respond. And may we also be affirmed today, Lord, that wherever we fall in all these gray areas, that you love us intensely, that every one of us is important to you, that whether we're weak or strong on these gray areas, Lord, has nothing to do with our commitment to you. And so, God, we just thank you for speaking to us today. We pray that you would use this quiet time of us remembering your broken body and your shed blood. Lord, that you spilt it on our behalf, that your arms are wide, that you love us all and you welcome us all into your family, even when we have disagreements over gray areas. Lord, we thank you again for your goodness, for your love to us. We pledge again our commitment to you, to your truth, to your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.